Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. That was healthy and enthusiastic. I appreciate that. Before I get started, I've made a personal commitment that anytime I am speaking, I will acknowledge that we are on land that is not ours. The land that we are on here at Lancaster Metaphysical Chapel was Susquehannock land. So I'd like to take a moment and honor the Susquehannock people, their elders, past, present, and emerging, and offer our gratitude to be able to be in this space today. Thank you. When I was asked to speak here this morning, I was told that the theme of the month was peace. At the time I was asked to speak, I was experiencing anything but peace. As some of you know, my family experienced a house fire back in March, and the house is continuing to undergo repairs, but as you can imagine, being displaced has brought with it some chaos and some disruption. Add into that mix the unexpected loss of my dad in early June, and then stir into that national events like the shootings in El Paso and Ohio, the continued persecution of immigrants, and the ever-present reminders of the white supremacy that infects and invades every part of our lives. And you have a combination that made it very hard for me to even consider how I was going to talk about peace. There were a few times in the weeks preceding my arrival here this morning that I considered calling Reverend Molly and telling her, hey, look, I love you guys, but I got nothing. Obviously, since I'm standing here today, I didn't make that call. You have the Reverend David Wallace to thank for that. A few weeks ago, I went to a reunion for my seminary, and the Reverend David Wallace was one of my favorite teachers. He just oozes love and compassion. He's one of those people you just want to snuggle up next to him and just get that loving energy from him. And I heard him speak, and he reminded me of something that he told us repeatedly in seminary, and that was this. When you're asked to speak and you don't know what to say because you feel like you've got nothing, which is where I was, preach the homily you need to hear. So that's what you all are getting today. You're getting a homily for me. So you're going to have to indulge me, and I'm hoping that some of you might be able to relate, that some of you might be needing to, to hear the same things that I'm needing to hear. So here we go. When I thought about the topic of peace, I thought, peace? How can I have peace when there are brown children in cages and everybody seems just fine with that? When we would fight about abortion, but we don't have the national will to enact common sense legislation that would end mass shootings? How do I talk about peace when we have leadership who continually speak fear and hate in their public discourse? Discourse that has seemed to go from something that was moderately civil to rabid and hateful. How do I speak about peace when I am waking up day after day to a country I no longer recognize? I am having that experience and I'm supposed to share words of peace. How do I do that? So I did what I often do. I went to the Gospels 
to see what the master teacher had to say about life in his world, about how he navigated injustice and oppression and patriarchy and systems meant to maintain advantage held by those already wealthy and in power. You see, what we face today is nothing new. The haves and the have-nots existed in Jesus' time, too. Racism, oppression, abuse of power, all existed in his time, too. If we take a look at the 12th chapter of Luke, verses 51 to 53, this is what we see. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. In churchy, spiritual-type circles, we tend to paint Jesus as this very loving, gentle, peaceful man. Most folks are willing to point out that one time when he lost his temper in the temple and flipped over the tables of the money changers. But other than that, he's often described by his loving kindness, right? Sanitized Jesus. Cleaned up Jesus. But here's the reality. He was crucified. That means he was considered to be an enemy of Rome. The Romans were occupying Israel in Jesus' day. And they reserved crucifixion for people who were identified as threats to Roman rule. That was their way of ensuring obedience, ruling by fear. They had their boot squarely on the neck of the Jews, and they wanted to keep it that way. And that's one of the tools that they used. Jesus was an upstart. He was a radical. He was a troublemaker. He said it himself. He came to bring division, not peace. And what was he coming up against? He was coming up against corruption. He called out the religious leaders for abiding by the letter of the law and ignoring the spirit of the law. He called them out for their adherence to complex rituals around purity, which they claimed as evidence of piety, while they hoarded wealth and failed to minister to the least among them. Jesus was a walking, talking example of rebellion against the customs of his time. You know, as an example, meal sharing back then was considered to be a political act, not just a social function. At meals, the people you invited and ate with contributed to and or advertised your social status and your political clout. Jesus ate with the lowest of the low, in society, he shared meals with tax collectors who were known cheats and thieves. The religious leaders of his time called him a drunkard and a lowlife because he partied with people they wouldn't have been caught dead with. Jesus came against social hierarchy and was living the principle that all children of God are equal. As a rabbi, it was customary to take on students. Jesus took on women as students, which was completely unheard of in his time. When Jesus talks about division, he's saying this cannot stand, this classism, this leaving the poor aside, this treating women like property, this separation of Jews and Samaritans, it cannot stand. Jesus preached the message of a God who loved all, and because of that love, insisted everyone was equal. 
The world he moved through denied that reality, and he would not stand for it. Jesus offers us the example of being willing to set aside peace just for the moment, if we need to be divisive for the sake of justice. So often, we are wanting to bring together, to smooth over, to make whole, make it all nice. In this case, Jesus offers us an example of the need to sometimes bring division. So if you, like me, find yourself in a position where you look at our world and you say, I cannot bear this corruption. I cannot stand for the way religious among us declare their devotion to God while children of that same God die in cages. If you say, I cannot support a system of injustice so profound that African Americans get years in jail for crimes when committed by whites, they just get probation. If you, like me, find yourself saying, I cannot tolerate leadership that insists our sacred Mother Earth is doing just fine and that nothing need change for her benefit, then you, like me, may find it impossible to feel at peace. But never fear, you are in good company because the master teacher tells us through his words as recorded in that Gospel of Luke that I read, that if we have his same heart, a heart for love, justice, mercy, grace, compassion for all people, that we will find ourselves divided, opposed to those who would embrace and maintain the status quo. The master teacher reminds us there cannot be peace when the most vulnerable among us are suffering. You see, I was telling myself there's something wrong with me and wrong with my faith because I was so ill at ease. I was telling myself I must not be where I should be in my spirituality because I was enraged and weeping and crying out to the God of my understanding about the injustices I felt so powerless to change. If you find yourself unable to rest or to find solace while you observe these grave injustices, you are in good company. It is the heart of love and compassion that calls you to that unrest. Be troubled and be glad you are disturbed. The troubled and the disturbed are the ones who will act. That is the call today. It has been my experience that only when we are greatly troubled are we willing to get moving. When we take these matters personally, it is then we are willing to get to work. It is when we see ourselves and our loved ones in the faces of those who are suffering that we're willing to act. And what is it that we can do? What is it we do not to find peace, but to respond to the conditions that keep us perturbed and propel us into commitment and to action so we can create a more peaceful world? Once again, I go to the example of the master teacher as a follower of the way, and a devotee of the master teacher Jesus, I commit that his path will be mine. So what did he do? Jesus loved on people in practical ways. He fed people. He listened to people who'd been denied a voice. Maybe you can gather people in your homes or in community halls. Maybe you can listen to the person on the phone when someone calls you with their heartache. Feed people. I have heard it said that chocolate cake covers a multitude of sins, and I'm a firm believer that that's true. 
Something happens when we gather around a table, when we share stories, when we listen to each other, when our hearts are shared, healing happens. When stories are heard, hearts are mended. Loving people in practical ways can mean practicing outrageous generosity and kindness. Thoughtful acts repeated over and over have an impact. What seems to be a small spark can catch fire and grow and burn down some of this hate and hurt. If you wait until you can do something big, it might be too late. So be willing, as St. Teresa of Calcutta says, to do small things with great love instead. The other thing you can do is speak out, speak up, and show up. If you want a world where there's peace, you must be willing to stand up for it, and you had better be ready to be disagreed with. I might not make too many friends today by saying this, but arguing on social media is not social activism. (laughs) Showing up does count as social activism. Get involved. Find a cause you believe in. Join the group or group showing up for a cause that you support and be there with them. An example might be the Poor People's Campaign or any other number of groups working to address systemic injustice in our nation. You might have to be the one who brings division because there are some things which simply cannot stand. Speaking out may mean contacting your legislators your local government representatives, your representatives at the national level. You know, I've had it said to me, some people say, well, legislators don't listen to anybody who doesn't have money or power, but that's not the path of the master teacher. His path is when you can do some good, you do it. Even if you're in the minority. When you see injustice, you speak against it. Get mad, be troubled, and speak up. Because the example of the master was not to stay quiet and pray and hope that was enough. Pray with your protest. Pray with your outrage. Pray with your demanding more from the leaders who claim to represent you. The last suggestion is to take good care of yourself. This is a marathon, not a sprint. Just like the master, You'll need times when you go off by yourself to a quiet place to hear the whispers of your beloved in your own heart. We need reminders of the great goodness. Get out in nature. Remind yourself there is beauty in this world. Take a break from the battle. Peace isn't going to come in a big wave, but it does come. Sometimes in little bits here and there. Notice and enjoy them when you can. Enjoy the quiet moments of reflection. Enjoy the dog coming up on the podium and laying at your feet. Enjoy the sunrise or the sunset. Enjoy the warmth of another hand holding yours. I came here today not to discourage you, but to offer a reminder that walking the way is not always a journey where there is peace. Sometimes we are greatly disturbed by what we see and hear and experience. The call of the master is to be all in. Leave all behind and follow me. That's what he said, right? Have skin in the game. 
even when you're not the one directly affected by what's happening. Remember that we are all one in God, and if we believe that is true, we must act, and we must be willing to live without peace for ourselves until there's peace for all. It is my hope that we will continue to work to achieve that peace, and it is my belief peace for all is possible if we're all willing to work for it. Thank you.